TRP is a theologically progressive Baptist church in Salisbury, Maryland. This is our podcast. What is up, TRP podcast listeners? It's been about... Way too long. It's seven months, eight months, but with COVID, it feels like time is a vortex, so it could it could have been six hours ago. I, I don't even know. Now, for, for you that are uninitiated or unaware... I am sitting here in the recording studio with Tessa Stoltz, the, how would you describe yourself, Tessa? I'm a content machine. The content machine <laughs> herself, all of the images and graphics and things that you see on TRP's website and socials comes straight from her brain to your brain. It's like <laughs> Inception, except it's, a, it's not. It's a brain-to-brain so, interaction. So we have been uh, trying out some new things at TRP, which has made it difficult for us to podcast these sermons because I feel like I've given up on preaching. Is that fair? Uh, that did not occur to me until you said something. I don't think that's occurred to anybody else. Well, that I guess that's it's good. Still, it, feels, it still feels like preaching but it feels more interactive. So there's a, a lot fewer of us now for many reasons. I don't know if anybody else has noticed this, but it seems like COVID and quarantine provided a nice opportunity for people to stay home. And for a bit, that was fun. It was like snow days. And the first couple was like, this is really cool. We can go sledding. We can have hot chocolate. We can watch TV all the time and not feel guilty about it. So all of the new quarantine stuff was happening and we all felt really good about it. And then life sort of went back to normal and some people's new routines did not include going to church, which I understand. Um, And because of that, we have adapted. And instead of me preaching more traditional sermons, we've attempted to have them be more conversational honestly you can find good sermons anywhere spotify youtube you can read a book if people still like the analog feel of pages between their fingers you can you can go to other churches you can consume that content on netflix and all over the place and chances are those those sermons are good so we're not trying to compete with that what we're trying to do is uh, foster some dialogue and conversations around the Bible. Uh, we still have a main text every week and we look at it and we rip it apart. But in person, I say things like, what do you hear? What do you think? What are some questions that you have? And that's really hard to put into podcast form, wouldn't you say? It is. Excellent. So <laughs> It's very difficult. And that's from a technical aspect, and that's also just from it's it's tough to translate the feel of. It's like recreating live music in a studio. And it's rarely it's, it's rarely that good. No, you can't do it. It's not the same. Right. Well, of course, there's some bands where you'd rather hear their studio records than see them live because they're garbage that's live. That's true. The worst that's band I ever saw live was Everclear. Shout out to Everclear. <laughs> that was at Woodstock '99. Wow. Yeah. Mom made a deal with me. Yeah, that I'm shocked I, you got uh, to go to that. That if I uh, went to a one-day training uh, of an abstinence-only drama skit troupe, then I could go to 
That's Woodstock with my friends. That's quite a strange trade. I honestly don't know if that's true. That's the story I keep telling myself because I think it's funny, but I don't know. So anyway, <laughs> here we are, and we're going to attempt to recreate the conversation that we had this past week. I should also go ahead and tell you as well, we're not doing a sermon series at the moment because I hit a wall three months ago or so where I felt like all of my creative energy had left the building. So I have reverted to preaching through the lectionary. The lectionary is a resource that a lot of different denominations use. It is a set of assigned weekly passages. There's four of them, one from the Old Testament, then there's a piece of poetry, usually from the Psalms, but not necessarily. Then there is a gospel reading, and then something from the New Testament, Paul's letters, general epistles, that sort of thing. And I have been hanging out in the Gospel of Mark. For you OG TRP listeners, you might remember back in 2015 and 2016. It was a long series. It was a lo- <laughs> it was like a year's worth of Mark sermons. Um, so I partly have reverted back to that because it's familiar territory for me, but also because Mark is the best. It's it's the best gospel of the four. There's no no question about it. Scholars believe that Mark was the first one that was written, and they postulate that because it's shorter than any of the other Gospels. Uh, the, the way that the stories are told, they're terse, they're to the point. And then you have Matthew and Luke, which retell a lot of the same stories that Mark does, but they add way more texture, way more color, way more details, sometimes conflicting details. But the theory is Mark established the bones of the Jesus story Matthew and Luke, independent of one another, were reading and using Mark and then adding their own flair to it. Uh, And then John does completely insane stuff on his own. So that's something completely different. So I love Mark for a number of reasons. It is terse, it is to the point, but it's also really compelling. So for the past, I don't know, six weeks or so, we've been looking at the Gospel of Mark and we're just gonna dive in today near the end of the book we're in we're in chapter 10 and we're going to be talking about the story of the rich young ruler and for you churchy folks that might ring some bells to you but this is the story where um, some guy comes up to Jesus and, and asks hey what do I need to do to inherit eternal life now interesting tidbit Tessa I don't know was this new for you or was this old news that moniker rich young ruler is not actually biblical that was new that was new to me it is a harmonization of details different details from different books so in matthew this individual is described as young in luke he's described as a ruler and in matthew mark and luke there's an implication that he has a lot of money so when you combine the youngness of matthew and the rulership of luke and the richness of all three he becomes the rich young ruler this is why uh punctuation is important yeah 
one of the reasons. One, one of many. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a big Oxford comma guy, so. Me too. It's important. I love the Oxford comma. Bad things can happen if you are neglecting your proper use of, of commas. Anyone who leaves it out is wrong. Yeah. There's also differences in the, in the story as well, where in Mark, the, the guy comes up to Jesus. I'll, I'll set the stage. In Mark, it says, as he was setting out, talking about Jesus, on a journey. Also, I should note, this is weird because Jesus is by himself setting out on a journey. In the story immediately preceding, Jesus has all of his, his crew with him. So some real nerdy scholars think that this story is an intrusion. So all the gospel authors are using traditions about Jesus that were sort of floating in the atmosphere. And they are picking these traditions and then bringing them into their stories, not always with an eye towards chronology. They don't necessarily care if they're telling the story from point A to point B in order. They're shaping their gospel stories. So Jesus, in this particular text seems to be by himself on a journey. The disciples will show up later, leading some people to think that this is a, a story that happens elsewhere that's kind of been brought in by Mark and the other gospel authors uh, to to meet other needs, I guess. So Jesus is setting out on a journey. Some guy runs up to him, kneels before him, and asks him, in Mark, he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Same thing, uh, he says in Luke, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? But in Matthew, the young man says, teacher, what good deed, singular, must I do to inherit eternal life? And Tessa, I keep talking about these differences. So we're looking at Mark, and I'm usually comparing them to Matthew and Luke. I don't think I mentioned this, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke are known as the synoptic gospels. Synoptic means something like reading with or reading beside so you're supposed to read matthew alongside of mark and luke again this is john where you is, say john is just weird john is just weird i was just getting ready to say that I john is doing his own john-like <laughs> things john is very theological john is making jesus into a really verbose teacher um so discourses are part of john's storytelling structure where remember mark is terse jesus is not going into these lengthy sermons um, and, and Matthew and Luke are not to the same degree that, that John is. So weird stuff. But I keep talking about all these differences. Mm -hmm. Help help us, Tessa. Do, do we care about these differences? Why are these differences potentially important or meaningful? I mean, I would say that it's important in... I sort of feel like between Matthew, Mark, and Luke, somewhere in the middle is the quote-unquote truth or what actually happened or I don't know I feel like we can glean something different from each of the tellings of the story we at least have that that difference when you're talking about like the historical core or the the capital T truth not in the sense of theological truth mm -hmm. or meaning and significance but like what actually happened you'd have to be foolish to say that some guy one time came up to Jesus and said, hey, good teacher, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And then in a different historical happening, mm -hmm. somebody else came up and said, teacher, what good deed, right? We're, nobody would say that that story happened 
twice, we're right. just going to admit the gospel authors are either dealing with different traditions that are out there floating in, in the, the ethereal space, mm-hmm. or, oh gosh, can we say, or they're not remembering things as they happened? Which, if you listen to um, Revisionist History... Oh yeah, I, yeah. I mean, the memory it's, is not. It's well. I just <laughs> told that story. I just told that story about Woodstock '99 and me going to an abstinence-only skit uh-huh. troupe. <laughs> Both of those things happened. I did, in fact, go to Woodstock '99, and I did, in fact, at my mother's request, go to an abstinence-only skit workshop, and ne- never <laughs> performed them publicly. I mean, I guess I could if somebody were to ask me. I don't I, think anybody I, wants. They're seared that into my brain, you. like they're they're just they they've been seared. But uh-huh. whether those two things actually go together, uh-huh. I don't know. And uh, the podcast that Tessa is referring to is Malcolm Gladwell's Revisionist History. He did an episode on 9/11 and the stories that we tell about 9/11 and how, in a lot of cases, they're not true. They're we're very adamant like i remember exactly where i was but sometimes our brain more so i think he says in male brains Hmm. i think that's right is that why every time a guy tells a story about a fish he caught the fish gets gets probably yeah it's it's science it's 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 not their fault (laughs) at all no but for some people tessa if if matthew is mis remembering or not remembering things as they happen that's a problem Mm -hmm. and it's usually a problem because of our views of what the bible must be how it how it behaves we have a lot of theological language surrounding the bible and sometimes that forces us to make really drastic interpretive moves Mm -hmm. around the bible one clear example the temple cleansing uh, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke is at the end. This is the bit where Jesus goes into Jerusalem. He goes into the temple. He sees the people changing the money, sees some folks getting ripped off, sees some people, um, some Jewish people invading the space in the court of the Gentiles. He gets ticked. He makes a whip in, in real it, time. In John's version, yeah, he makes a whip and drives people out, uh, which, is, which is insane. In Mark's version, he goes in, looks around, and then takes it all in. And then it says he leaves, goes home, has, has a good night's sleep at the, the place where he's staying. I believe it was uh, Mary and Martha's house in Bethany. Stays there the night and then wakes up, kind of cracks his back a little bit and says, well, I guess I'm going to go and create havoc mm-hmm. in the house of the Lord. And then he... That's how I woke up this morning. Yeah. It's strange. It's like, it's nice when you wake up and you're like, I'm going to go like, create some go havoc. I'm going to go wreak havoc in the name of the Lord. Of course. It's righteous yes. indignation and it's, you know, it's it's a necessity. Of course. But it wasn't like he was overcome with anger. He might have been, but then he went home, slept on it. Um, of course, he didn't sleep on it because we all know that you're not supposed to go to bed angry. Mm-hmm. And Jesus, as the Son don't of let, God... Don't let the, it, sun you know, of, the sun go down on your no, anger. No, of course not. No. So he... he he wasn't um, moved to anger and out of control. This wasn't like a blackout Jesus moment, but he wakes up very intentionally, starts throwing over tables. Anyway, it's premeditated. Yes, premeditated table overturning. Mm-hmm. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, this is at the end of the story. In John, this is at the beginning. 
So some people have said in order to protect the inerrancy of the Bible, the inspiration of the Bible, the authoritative nature of the Bible, that there must have been two temple cleansing moments, one in the beginning, like John says, and one at the end, like Matthew, Mark, and Luke says. But any seemingly rational person would say, oh, that seems that seems silly. The fact that we feel like we need to protect the Bible, I mean, that's a whole other conversation, but the Bible doesn't need us to do that. Yes, that's that's good. Yet we feel compelled, especially within certain denominations, mm-hmm. certain expressions of... of I think this is an American thing, mm-hmm. uh, more so than, than any other global entity. We feel that we have to protect. That's a, that's a great way of putting it, Tessa. Um, but yeah, so, so we talk about these, these differences, and at least on our end, it's, hey, we've got this book, and we've got these thoughts about it, but when you read it, it sort of pokes holes in the thoughts that we have about it from time to time. And I'm of the mindset that it would be good for us to have a more honest and even a more aware understanding of what is in the text. So, yeah, if, if, if you were to show up on a Sunday evening or even hearing this podcast, I'll probably make a bigger deal out of Mark and Luke saying, good teacher— and we'll see where that story goes versus Matthew saying, teacher, what good deed must I do? And then where that story goes, because for me, it's demonstrating the Bible doesn't always behave like you think it should behave. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. And I, even better, I think. Yeah. When, when you let anything be what it is Mm -hmm. that's better than you trying to fit it into whatever your preconception yeah i like that i like that Uh, but i'll tell you tessa it doesn't always it doesn't always fly no (laughs) because it forces people to rethink and rethinking isn't what folks want to do no it's uncomfortable yeah which is which is sad okay but but also understandable i i get it because um, even if you've done some serious rethinking, some unlearning and relearning, you, I remember, uh, and sometimes I even feel like I'm still in that place. The questions I ask are different. I don't care much about the differences in the way these stories are told, but I got other things that I care about mm-hmm. and that are causing some borderline existential crises <sighs> in my own life. Which is always a fun time. Yeah, it is. <laughs> um, and, you know, knowing you're not alone in that is is good, so... So we, we tend to be, as a church, we tend to be on the side of creating the existential crises for people. Like mm-hmm. saying, here's something you should think about, and that's not always what people want to hear right. heading into their work week. But, mm-hmm. all right, so, so Tessa, yes. given, given your church experience, and I know like as a Catholic, this might be different because your upbringing was very different than my super evangelical. I was doing abstinence-only skit skit mm, productions mm-hmm, you know what i mean mm-hmm. that's different i don't imagine you doing that i did i don't think many people did that you know what no nope. <laughs> I, uh, I was having a conversation in rise up a week ago and the person i was talking to could sympathize empathize commiserate because she too oh, wow. had it, this this is a thing in evangelical that's christianity <laughs> yeah you 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 do these skits you do these live 
production. Sometimes you have sticks involved. Sometimes you're wearing a black sticks. turtleneck. Yeah, it's a stick. For what? Like, so you can make crosses out of them. Oh, or like you naturally. Can, you know, wield them. It's like an interpretive yeah. movement Interpretive situation. dancing with sticks okay, while great. wearing turtlenecks. It's not, oh, good. it's not unfamiliar. And this is how you get people to be abstinent. Absolutely. Yes. Because when you're in the throes of passion, you remember the black turtlenecks and the sticks and you think, well, I, we need to. Can't do that. No. no. Actually, what you do remember is the severe guilt and shame, mm-hmm. which will absolutely lead you into a prosperous and fruitful marriage. But yeah. we can save that for a different time, I, I think. think. That's a different so, conversation. Tessa, given, given your church experience. Yes. This guy comes up to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's the answer that we're predicting? I don't know if I don't know if I know the answer that we're predicting, but I would say that we're expecting him to say something about how you get into heaven. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair prediction. And again, different different church backgrounds for you and I in my church mm-hmm. background it would be what if you asked any pastor what do I need to do to inherit eternal life well start repeating this prayer after me sign this commitment card ask Jesus into mm-hmm. your heart all right. of these sorts of Christiany things that um, are said to people that might be what we expect it's not anywhere in the vicinity of what Jesus provides here which makes a lot of sense because Jesus is not a 21st century American evangelical. Right. Jesus was a Jew in the first century. Even that phrase, eternal life, it meant something completely different to him in his context than it does when we hear that. When we hear eternal life, we quickly equate it with, when I die, mm-hmm. my spirit will leave my body and float out somewhere into the upper atmosphere right yeah nasa hasn't found it yet no they have not as my dad would say not about this but about other things does it mean they won't find it eventually yeah but also the universe keeps expanding so can we really keep up with it i don't know that's the question well that whole that whole interpretation is a bit flawed i'd um, say so but you know it's good to deal with the evidence inaugurated eschatology yeah we'll get there okay great Um, yeah, so this this is sort of where this guy's coming from. Tessa introduced this this nerd term, inaugurated eschatology. Tessa, when was the first time you heard that phrase? Years and years ago, at church, at of, TRP. Of course, TRP yeah. is a naturally. Is the, uh, I wanted to make a sticker that said that, and you said the people weren't ready. I think they're ready now. Uh, I think it's time. You can drop a comment below wherever yeah. this uh, this is. <laughs> This podcast meets you if you're ready for some inaugurated eschatology swag. Yes. Maybe that's a t-shirt, sweatshirt, sticker. Mm. Maybe you want to put it on the back of your car and let people know what's up. Yeah. But what inaugurated eschatology actually means is, and and honestly, Jesus doesn't get here, but he does unpack some of this eschatological thinking. That's, that's, a, that's a word um, that basically means people's understanding and their predictions even or anticipations of what will happen at the end so in the first century uh, the jewish mindset had this belief that they were living within the present age Uh, paul at times refers to this as the present evil age there's some there's some stuff happening here some oppression happening especially when you think about 
uh, the Jewish faith, there's like within the first century, the the Romans are in power. So for this young ruler here, and yeah, I'm conflating these terms, this rich young ruler, when he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He's not talking about heaven. He's talking about what must I do to ensure that I will gain access into the age to come. Because they had this mindset of we're in the present age now. Bad stuff's happening. Oppressive groups are ruling over us. But at some point, God's kingdom is going to so finally and climactically, I'm, I'm waving my hand here in, mm-hmm. in the studio. Emphatically. Emphatically. Like as this, there's this breaking point where God shows up and initiates the age to come which only a select few will be able to enjoy. Certainly not, in the Jewish mindset, the oppressive groups. Certainly not the people who are not following Yahweh. There's like this this break, and the rich young ruler is wanting to know, what do I need to do to get into that? So even right off the bat, like his question is different than what you might hear at a tent revival. He's not asking, what do I need to do to be saved? That's a different sort of question that maybe Paul addresses, sort of, but it's we've so Americanized it that even when Paul is talking about, um, you know, becoming part of the Jesus movement, it's just so dissimilar. And Jesus doesn't answer anything near what we might think. In fact, he says, um, after this weird moment of saying, first of all, dude, don't call me good. Why, why are you doing that? Remember, because in Mark and Luke, it says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, whoa, bro, back up. Which is weird for Jesus to say, right? Mm-hmm. How would you describe Jesus in a word? Good. Yeah, yeah he's, he's a good guy. <laughs> Great. He's even. a good, yeah, the best. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. And that's sort of like this weird introduction into the real answer but first jesus really wants to, to stake his claim and say whoa god's on a different wavelength than i am now again we've talked about matthew mark and luke being different than john no way would this story show up in john's gospel because john from the very beginning is like jesus is god jesus is god jesus is god jesus is god like that that's a thing throughout and jesus in john's gospel is saying i am god i like it's very it's not veiled it's not hidden mm-hmm. In Mark, though, remember, he keeps doing these miracles, and people are like, whoa, man. And Jesus says, don't tell anybody. Right. Like, if you think if you think what you see here is cool and godlike, don't let anybody know. It's a weird factoid in the book of Mark where Jesus is drawing these distinctions between himself and God. So we've got this working. I should also note that the farther we get into this story, he's going to bring it back home. So Jesus is saying, like, nobody is good but God alone. But then later, as you'll see, he says, if you want to inherit eternal life, you got to follow me. So Jesus seems to be working on the presumption that the stuff that he's doing is God working through him. So there's not really this huge gap of separation between him and him and God that we're led to believe here. Now, when Jesus gets into answering the question he goes in in a strange direction he says you know the commandments and here i often talk about like importing tone into the words on the page 
it could go a couple of different ways. You know the commandments, mm-hmm. you doofus. Which I think is how I would read it. Yeah. I, <laughs> Chances are. Again, I think that's the guilt and shame that's coming in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We've got a Jesus that's eternally disappointed in us because of our it's because of our upbringing. Good time. Yep. Yeah, it's like you dummy. Can't believe you did that again. Whatever. <laughs> Guess I'll go die for you. Uh-huh. You know? That Yikes. got intense. Yeah, a little I know. bit. But I'm sorry. I mean, it, it, it's real. Shame. Yep. So you, you can read this in, in many different ways. Uh, I'm going to read it as the Jesus thinks we're doofuses. Mm-hmm. You know the commandments. Which we are sometimes. So <laughs> Yeah. This guy, I don't though, think he'd talk to us that way, though. This guy seems earnest enough. Like, he hey, does, what do yeah. I need to do? Just just let me know. I'd like to do it. Which Maybe. is funny you say that because growing up, I always assumed that he was, like, pompous, like, arrogant. Well, yeah. He's rich. Based he's on, young. Uh-huh. He's a ruler. And based on the fact that he says that he's, which we'll find out. Spoiler he's alert. Done, sorry. He's done all of the. He's not hanging out with Jesus in the end of the story. And when Jesus says, you know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. I'm reading the New Revised Standard Version, so we're, we're getting really formal here. You shall not bear false witness. Tessa, where have we heard all of these things? The Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments. Factoid. Uh, they're not called the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament. They're called the Ten Words. Mm-hmm. Ding. The more you know. Ooh. Oh, wow. Yeah, I got a little... Bing, bing, bing. Yeah. If we had some, like, sound drops... I'd... I dropped something in there. We could. The NBC thing. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. You shall not defraud. That would I'd do a record scratch there. Oh. Because th- that's not one of the ten words. Mm-hmm. Not one of the ten commandments. And people wonder, uh, does Jesus have some insight here into what this guy's really dealing with? He's freestyling. He's freestyling, and he's also saying... I know you, mm-hmm. bro, mm-hmm. and you are in fact a doofus mm-hmm. because this this idea of defrauding it it's a verb that means to to take something away illegitimately. Um, according to one New Testament scholar, Joel Marcus, he says that it's often used in context of social oppression, especially in not paying fair wages. And landowners were known for defrauding people. Now, in the ancient world, this guy's not—he's not investing in cryptocurrency, right? Mm-hmm. So he's got money because he's got land, he's got employees, he's got people. Like it's a different way of accruing wealth in the ancient world. So this guy certainly could fit into the "I've made a fortune off of defrauding people." We don't know that, but it's—it's it's, uh, what's the word? It's likely yeah that's i wasn't gonna go that strong with it it's probable probable thank you it's possible probable that this guy might have his hands into some of that and then jesus takes a hard right don't murder don't commit adultery don't steal don't bear false witness don't defraud honor your father and mother Mm -hmm. weird Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. again joel marcus says that this might take precedence due to what scholars refer to as end stress the last thing that you list being the thing that's most important mm. i see no, this is just me and i'm not a new testament scholar i don't know what that stress would indicate because the way the story goes 
there's no real qualms with father and mother here with the rich young guy. I don't know. So how that would be functioning there as end stress, no clue. Tessa, what's the guy say? He hears all this stuff and he's – we can read in some being pompous. We could also mm -hmm. just read in he's being sincere and right. he says – He says, I've done all these things. Yeah, cool. All right. Followed all of them. Well, if, I, if this is what I need to do to inherit eternal life, I guess I'm good. Mm -hmm. Right, Jesus? I've done all this stuff. And I don't think – like the way that a lot of Christians think about the law is – we fail. Mm -hmm. It's impossible to keep. It is. But also, <laughs> the way that Paul talks about this is not really, especially when you factor in, you've got atonement built into the legal system. So it's not just, I have failed in keeping one of these commands. It's, I've failed in keeping the commands and I don't offer sacrifice anymore. So Paul says, according to the law, I'm blameless. Mm -hmm. So at least Paul thinks that he's got it, and maybe this guy thinks that he's got it too. Now, we can know as the story progresses, it says Jesus looks at him. Some people want to put a lot of, I won't say undue stress on this, but they, they import a lot of meaning into the looking. Like there's a supernatural insight. There's this I, I might even say perception. And I don't I'm not trying to take away like the the divine aspects of Jesus or the supernatural aspects of Jesus. Dude's doing crazy stuff mm -hmm. all throughout the gospels. But he's also really in touch with people. Right? In, I think in John's gospel he says that he knows the hearts and minds of people. I don't think that's referring to a supernatural insight. I think he's looking around saying he can read the writing on the wall mm -hmm. a bit. Jesus looks at him, knows there's more to this story, because the guy wouldn't show up if he's just keeping all the commandments and ask for, for affirmation and confirmation. And then it says that Jesus loved him, which some commentaries that I looked at said this is the only person in the Gospels of whom it explicitly says that Jesus loved in that nuts now okay take john john's out leave <laughs> leave john out and actually john's weird john's weird but i mean you know the actually you can you can leave john in i was thinking about uh the author of john probably being the same figure as the one who jesus loved but that's a that's a a conclusion that that person reaches of for jesus like of Jesus's thoughts, but Jesus doesn't say to that individual, "Hey, I love you." Mm -hmm. You know, but I, I'm unclear if this is just Mark's gospel, if this is the Synoptic Gospels, if it's all four gospels. I don't have that on recall, mm -hmm. but at least in Mark's story, only person of whom it says that Jesus explicitly loves him. What do you do with that? I have no idea. Isn't that crazy? What do you do with that? I don't know. Okay, great. <laughs> I mean, you, you leave it in the story and you, and you let it inform where the story is going. I mean, there's obviously a purpose for putting that in there. Especially, yeah, if the, if the gospel authors are intentional storytellers, this detail here that Jesus loves this individual, that's that's weighty for the author of, of Mark. 
and its absence elsewhere is a bit weighty too and pushes against the ideas that we have of Jesus. Now I'm not saying, and Tessa's certainly not saying, that Jesus doesn't love the other people that are um, that appear in the Gospel of Mark. Mm-hmm. No. But it's just not said with specificity, and I think that's saying something. But then he goes on to say he looks at him, he's got this insight, this perception, he loves him, maybe his heart's breaking because he knows what's about to happen. He doesn't say it to him, does he? No, it's, just says it it's, in the it's text. an internalized feeling that's informing how Jesus says. Mm. So here, okay, all right, all right, let's go back in time. The doofus stuff mm-hmm. maybe can can just sort of fritter away because yeah. he loves this guy. Right. I mean, I love a lot of people, and I'm frustrated with them from same, time to time. Same, same. Um, shout out to my children. <laughs> but he, he looks at him, he loves him, and then he says, you lack one thing. And again, we import tone here, and it's usually this earnest Jesus. Man, I love you. You lack one thing. Mm-hmm. Like he's pleading with him, mm-hmm. maybe. Go and sell what you own. Going back to like that land ownership. Guy's got a lot of stuff. Sell it. Give the money to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. I know we want to go immediately to the disembodied spirits floating up into the upper atmosphere and going to heaven where we will inherit these mansions in the sky and prance around as little spirit ghosts on streets of gold. This is not what Jesus is saying here. Um, It's more in terms of like God is safe, is keeping our treasures safe for us so that when the new heavens descend according to the biblical language that it will be made apparent for us even you have a place oh yeah right yeah Mm -hmm. why does that make you why are you so uncomfortable it's not mansions in the sky streets of gold i i think those are images for some different picture yeah like it seems like the end is about the restoration of the world this one and it not being so so jacked up. Mm-hmm. That's the, the perfection that was emblematic in those opening stories of the Garden of Eden will take over this place. That seems to be where the, the Bible is going, but you got these little treasures in heaven that kind of mess with our brains. I, just, um, I just think, I've come to think of it as just like, there's a, you have, I'm saving space. Like there's, a space for you. Yeah, see the table. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Um, he's saying, get rid of all your stuff, sell what you own, give the money to the poor, you'll have a seat at the table mm-hmm. in the in the age to come. I like that. That's good. You, you'll inherit this eternal life that you're so desperate for. And once you, you do all that, then come and follow me. Right. If, if we could just pare down, if someone says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? I think that's the takeaway. Mm-hmm. Follow Jesus. Mm-hmm. Earlier in the gospel, deny yourself, pick up your cross, follow me. The calling of the disciples. Hey, follow me. Be about what Jesus is about. Be the type of person that Jesus was while he was walking the earth. And I'm not, I don't mean to stress like the, the works stuff. I mm-hmm. just mean it's more than an intellectual component of deciding, oh yeah, I guess there was this homeless Jewish rabbi that died 
and that somehow had something to do with my sins. So if I just believe that that happened, mm-hmm. then I'm good. Well, faith without works is dead, though. Thanks, James. Yeah, that's that's true. Mm-hmm. And but that that way of thinking about it is just so hollow. Mm-hmm. Um, believe this, and you'll be fine. Okay, right. but you I mean you can believe a lot of stuff and act like a huge doofus. Doofus. Yeah. I was gonna go stronger, but dingus. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, is a dingus worse than a dingus? If you're comparing the two, yeah, dingus is actually is, is definitely a stronger term. I say that a lot, and the kids have caught on. So yeah, Jude, you're a dingus. I'm like, oh no, yeah. oh no. Anyway, oh well. <laughs> h- how do you hear this? Um, is this a literal ask for the rich young ruler? I mean, we talked about this a bit on Sunday, but I think most people who read it. I, I think I read it literally, but I think that we are inclined to hope that it doesn't apply to us. Yeah, different categories. Yes. Does it is it literal for him? Yeah. Yeah. Jesus wants this guy's money. Right. You know? Jesus wants this guy's money for the poor for, people. For, yeah. For right. someone else. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot <laughs> of baggage there. There's a lot of baggage there. You were hearing that. Jesus if you just this give me the up. seed money, then you will be blessed tenfold. Like <gasps> the 800 number on the bottom of the screen. No, thank that, you. That's not what's happening. No. Jesus wants this guy to sell everything he's got and give it to the poor. And there's some um, there's some warrant for that. Remember Zacchaeus had ripped off a bunch of people. When he meets Jesus, he goes and gives them more than what he's taken from them. Mm-hmm. That's literal. It's mm-hmm. tangible. It's mm-hmm. physical. Me following Jesus means I must do these things in the real world. Again, we don't usually think about that. We have reduced it to an intellectual assent. If I just believe this, I'm good. Well, what do you have to do? Nothing. Isn't grace cool? Right. Uh, yeah, yeah, it is. But also... But if, but if your life doesn't change based on what you've heard, then what are you doing? Yes. Not much. Right. Is what is what I would seem to say. And going back to, to James, that whole bit about if you see somebody on the street who's in need and you just wave at him like hey, hey hey be blessed yeah and then you hop in your suv and drive off to chick-fil-a which is classic first century mm-hmm. you know or like when when people leave christians leave tips at restaurants mm. and it's like a, a small tip mm. but it's like a tip and a track mm. or those like million dollar bills yes that aren't real legal tender mm-hmm like, thanks for nothing. Yeah. This is mm-hmm. why people hate And if Christians. you just talk to a, a server and they can give you horror stories uh-huh. of people. Just uh, people. But also Christians. Yep. Not living generously. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that bit in James, like you just wave your hand and you say, hey, be blessed. And then you don't give the coat off your back or any sort of real tangible helps. What are you doing? Like you're right. not doing, you're not doing much. Even saying that, though, Tessa, like in our culture, that immediately, I think, takes people to the stoplight at uh-huh. Target, Target, right? <laughs> yes. And it's like, okay, does that then mean that in order for me to be following Jesus, I need to throw my cash out the window to this person? I always 
I try not to get in the left lane that's right next to the median. Oh, yeah. And it's almost like, <laughs> I don't want to make eye contact with you. I know. And in those moments, like, how much have we dehumanized people? Right. Whether this guy's ripping us off or not. Right. It's not really the point. That's not the point. No. There should be, like, eye contact and, hey, I see you yeah. as a human. I'm not going to give you money right now. And you'll, you know, for every article you read about following your guts and blessing people when you can bless them there's another article that says yeah but if you do then they're gonna go buy heroin i had the same guy downtown ask me two days in a row the first day i gave him like the last 12 dollars in my wallet and he said he had to get somewhere he needed gas money yeah gotta catch that bus so i was like okay like i'll help him out and then the next day he asked me again i was like i just gave you money yesterday aren't you supposed to you're be still in here North right Carolina right now <laughs> like what what's happening which is not to say that i shouldn't have given him the money the first time how'd you feel first time you, you um, empty your wallet you leave how do you feel uh i felt i guess i felt decent i don't know like i did what i can I mean, you, I, you whatever he it, does though, with right? you you let people know <laughs> no you took a picture of it put it on on no, instagram no. No. Well, I mean, how will people know that you're you're about the blessings? Well, how will people know that you're following that Jesus if you don't not, alert the socials? Oh, well, <laughs> you're right. I should I should have posted it. Yeah. Because I need proof of my good works. In proof the world. of love. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. How'd you feel the next day though? Bad. <laughs> like, like a I, fool. I'm I I'm I'm participating in this man's perpetual downfall. No, I just felt like I had been duped. You said, give him my money back. And he had this whole story about how his brother or friend had just killed himself. It was like, it was a lot. lot. It was a lot of layers, which is on, it's not, it was him. It wasn't me. Absolutely. George Costanza. You do it. (laughs) Uh, Opposite. Opposite George Costanza. It's you. It's not me. (laughs) Um, Yeah, those are always the difficult situations that I don't. But it doesn't mean mm. you shouldn't. No. Like, it Mm-mm. still has nothing to do with, you should still give. It's good not to live as cynical as uh-huh. I am most mm. of the time. You know? Mm-hmm. But yeah, for him, back to Mark, for yeah. the for the rich guy, do it. Literal. Right. Get rid of it. Follow me. Be about the work. Mm-hmm. For the rest of us... Now, there's two ways to take this. One is exactly what you said. We like to say, oh, no, that's for him. Mm -hmm. I'm fine. Mm -hmm. That's for him. When I go to the Route 13 stoplight at Target, I don't make eye contact with human beings. Mm -hmm. I'm fine. (laughs) You know? We so desperately want to protect what we have. Now, I'm going to put a sidebar into that and talk about the fact that Jesus' ministry was bankrolled by rich people. Mm-hmm. Like he, he even calls them out uh, in a positive way. Like the reason why Jesus was able to minister in the way that he was without having a house, without having like 
provisions is because the people around him were generous with the money that they had, meaning they had not given it all away to follow him. Because if every follower of Jesus gives it all away, who's going to fund the 501c3s? <laughs> who's going to fund the nonprofits? Right. Better, who's going to fund the church and its ministries? Because there's actually a lot of people that would be claiming not to follow Jesus that want to fund 501c3s and good nonprofits. But, mm-hmm. you know, like, who? how are these ministries going to survive if no one has any money? So there's this positive aspect in some of Jesus' ministry where he says the people with the money are doing good things with the money, which is why earlier in the Gospel of Mark, when he sends out his disciples to do, like, this, this missionary type work to go out to to talk to folks he says don't worry about the provisions people will help you implication people with some means money Mm -hmm. food shelter whatever they will provide for you but it's impossible for them to do that if they have given it all away so we go literal for rich guy figurative for us Jesus is cool with us driving beamers and being filthy rich. Mm-hmm. And even when I said that, even when I made it real specific, like driving beamers, beamers. I thought, dude, your kids go to Salisbury school. Mm-hmm. You know, and like that immediate guilt, like, uh-huh. oh, it's me. I, I need to. I, yeah, I think I sort of go to, you said a while ago, like you have to die to yourself and follow Jesus or take up your cross and like, I think I go to maybe this was this specific specific guy's way of dying to himself. It would have been, in order for you to demonstrate that, you gotta part with the stuff that like this is, is the so stuff meaningful to you. This is the stuff that's getting in the way of you being able to follow Jesus. Yeah, and I mean, spoiler: the end of the story. He walks away. Mm-hmm. He's sad. Um, let me find it here. He it says he when he heard this he was shocked and he went away grieving because he had a lot of possessions Mm -hmm. meaning i can't do that right i got too much and maybe he thought i can still do some good with it but also don't defraud bro Mm -hmm. pay your people a fair wage right dude like there might be some of that but he's like tough ask jesus can't do it i wish we had the part two of this guy's story yeah to see what happened after and he people, walked away. He's not named, right? right? So some people, I, I'm, I'm sure, I'm pretty sure about this. Write him back into the story later. Oh, I'd have to check on that. Interesting. Yeah, but I mean, people want a redemptive ending to yeah. everybody's story. Yeah. But th- in the same way, the guy's like, "Ooh, that's a tough ask. I can't do it. I'm gonna walk away and be sad, but I'll comfort myself with the best cigars and the best <laughs> bourbon and the best smoking jackets that are mm-hmm. so satiny smooth on my skin." I just imagine if if that's what he's doing. I just imagine him sitting in this wood paneled like yeah. office, huge mahogany everywhere. Yes, everything is made of mahogany. Yeah. Not so in, much in first century uh, Jewish culture, but no, but yeah, we, we've updated current it. day. They're also not drinking bourbon. No, that's only in Kentucky, <laughs> or is it Tennessee? It's one of the two. In Kentucky, in first century. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, great. I mean Pangea and all. Right. Yes. <laughs> no. No. In the Fertile Crescent. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. All right. 
I'm just imagining him sitting sad and alone, but yeah. drinking yeah. bourbon to and Morrissey. surrounded by like listening nice to the, things. Sad, the saddest music of all time on a great sound system. Great sound system, but when Dashboard Confessional is just crooning about how he's been cheated on and left it's, for dead, it's not in happy. a smoking jacket. It's just not. No, it's like, it's what not. are you, what are you doing? Jesus gets that. Um, it's a hard ask mm-hmm. because in the next scene, the, the disciples show up. Right. Which, again, like some people think that the author of Mark is bringing some traditions together here. Uh, but however we deal with this, he looks around, says to his disciples, it's hard, folks. It's hard for people with wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And it more specifically says how hard it will be. And up to this point, Tessa, yeah. is it possible or is it impossible? It's possible. Still possible. Yeah. And we feel good. Well, woo, yes. Yeah. I can still have that have that big retirement plan. I can still have the house on the cul-de-sac. Folks, I'm sitting in a bedroom in a house <laughs> on a cul-de-sac right now. Yep. Like we feel like, yes, okay, I can still follow Jesus and not give everything away. That's good. Jesus says it's hard, folks. And the disciples were, it says, perplexed about this. Side note. Do the disciples travel around like a school of fish? I don't know. Because like they all just show up at the same time. Well, I mean, I think the implication really is they were there all along. They were just chat, having a sidebar conversation. Yeah, they were ma- catching some Z's. Gotcha. You know, Taking but again, that's why it's so weird that it says Jesus set out on this <clears throat> journey by himself. Right. So it's like we've got this this separate Jesus story, which I mean, also, who told who told who told Mark the story? You know, you got all these these layers of like, okay, if Jesus is by himself talking to this guy, how does how did the, the disciples know this is happening? Which is a separate issue. Maybe but. he went on a short hike up the mountain. Jesus? Yeah. Yeah. And came across this guy yeah. who was also out for a nice walk. And then when they saw him coming back down, he was sad. And and they like, could... hey, did you see that guy? Why was he so sad? Yeah. Well, listen, guys, I had to this tell him. This is what happened. Yeah. No. I, maybe. He walked away sad. Who knows? What an American I'm just, question. I'm just, I'm like, just we're trying to figure out, like, what? Let's let's piece all the things together and tie them up into a neat bow. They they were standing in the distance and could see Jesus. Yeah. And he set out on the hike oh, alone. Hey, Pete, Pete, Pete. Hey, look. I talking to that guy with a smoking jacket. <laughs> Side note: Do you think that guy has some extra bourbon for us? Right. Because yeah, I, you know, maybe some we like highball it. glasses. We, yeah, we like that. We yeah. like to. And I, we like Morrissey. We do. You know, we who do. doesn't? Maybe he'll share his sound system. If a double-decker bus <laughs> smashes into us. Those aren't the lyrics. I don't oh, know. That's it's just, dark. It's very dark. Yeah. But man, it's it's also good. Okay. Yeah. Now, um, Jesus says to the disciples, it's going to be hard. They're mm-hmm. perplexed because built into their tradition is if you follow God, you'll be blessed. Right. If you follow God, if you're obedient, if you do the commandments, then riches will follow. That's that's a line of thinking. Mm -hmm. It's not the only line of thinking because if you read the Old Testament, there are counter testimonies clear to that God will bless. Mm -hmm. So like the the prosperity gospel people aren't reading both halves of the story Mm -hmm. they're picking the one that sounds good i want to be rich i want to live on a cul-de-sac i want to drink bourbon in a mahogany paneled room 
listening to my hi-fi mm-hmm. stereo mm-hmm. with old LPs yes. that are scratch-free. Yeah. So they want that, but there's a whole other side to this tradition. Wealth is not the ticket. Wealth will not help you. Wealth is not your strong city. Like there's all sorts. For every proverb that says wealth is good, there's a proverb that says wealth is bad. Mm-hmm. And you've also got you know the testimonies of people like Job mm-hmm. and Ecclesiastes. These are like horrific stories, cynical stories even. Although Job, come on, dude. At the end, so Job has all the stuff taken from him. And then at the end, I, this chapter bugs me to no end. Everything's restored. Right. And I hate it. So like. So he was sort of right, you know. Yeah. Well, if you do the right things, you get the good stuff. Now, granted, you can't really replace your family. You, you can't is the <laughs> yeah. thing. You cannot replace yes. your family. Okay, that's a, that's a true statement. So like. He did lose. He had twice as many children this time around like okay yeah but what, what about, about the other ones they were cool i think he cared about them i think so too it's just a weird ending to the <laughs> they story. were cool yeah it, it's just a weird <laughs> they ending. were pretty neat yeah except his wife who's like curse god and die you know mm. she she was a, a peach but i understand where she's coming from <laughs> anyways um so they're hearing this they're perplexed because god can bless People. There's this belief that God's blessing it manifests in prosperity, and you know that that belief still exists. Jesus says to them, and he, he turns the language, children, <laughs> and tone, children, <laughs> first grade school teacher, children, or who knows? Again, children, can, children. Um, you hear my voice? Clap twice, <laughs> disciples. If you can hear me, clap two times. <laughs> Peter, that, yeah, that's a scenario. I'm sure that happened. Mm-hmm. Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. Possible or impossible? Possible. Still possible. Yeah. We've expanded it. He's yes. not making any qualifications. Hard for who? Seemingly anybody. Yes. Then he get, he brings Children. it back down to uh, rich people. It's mm-hmm. easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. Possible? Or impossible? Sounds impossible. Tell me more. Camels are large and needles are small. Yes. <laughs> yes. At least every camel, camel I've ever seen is. Yes. It's bigger than the eye of a needle. Unless it's a very large needle. Or a very a small, small camel. camel. Yes. It's. I'm trying to think of that. that would you rather have huge hands yes or long legs that that thing mm-hmm. i was trying to make the tie there but i can't so you know Would what you, this podcast, have a, you get stream of consciousness here a giant needle and a tiny camel or a giant camel and a tiny yes no wait is that what Re- it is? reverse it you know what i mean <laughs> would you rather have a tiny camel a needle that a camel could go through or, or a camel. camel that could go through a needle <laughs> I don't know the answer I to that. I think I'd rather have. Okay. All right. <laughs> I would so, rather have a tiny camel. Tessa's sure. right. It's impossible based on the, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. That's impossible. Right. But I know half of you out there have heard this anecdote from a pastor Which who means well. I had never heard. Seriously? This. I don't I don't think I have. This had. is the difference between Catholics and evangelicals. So. Evangelicals love this one. 
Who started this? It, this is so early in the tradition, people, because because uh. this this it's impossible. Jesus is saying it's impossible for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. There's no seemingly ifs, ands, or buts about it, mm-hmm. because as Tessa mentioned, this is scientifically provable. Camels are bigger than the eyes of needles. Yes. That's the point. Mm -hmm. This is a saying in this culture. Other cultures have different versions of this. Like in some cultures, the elephant is the bigger animal. Like that's the thing that they make sayings about elephants can't fit through whatever. Mm -hmm. But in first century Jewish culture, the camel is a big beast of burden. Mm Mm-hmm the biggest maybe animal that they would have known. So it's an extravagant example of something big can't fit in something tiny. Mm-hmm. But pastors have come up with this, and I shouldn't say pastors because I want you to think much longer than just you know the last 50 years. They've recreated the, uh, say the archeology span of Jerusalem and have hypothesized a gate known as the eye of the needle or the needle gate and in order for camels to get into this gate they would have had to get down on their knees their haunches they're kneeling camels. they're kneeling yes. and they're being led through they would also have to get rid of their packs right because they're pack animals so, sort of along with the story, you take the stuff off, and when you take the stuff off, Tessa, mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. you can get through the needle gate. Is it needle gate or camel gate? I don't know. Is it pizza gate Not or to be deflate gate? With, right. Water gate. Any of them. Yeah. There was a. There's a Bill Clinton gate too, isn't there? Probably. Yeah. Okay. There's lots it's, of gates. And, and, it's interesting. This is reminding me. I feel like when we were talking about, um, so these evangelical pastors are creating this. Let's no. Let's let. Okay, okay so yeah, these pastors, yes. generally general pastors. But actually, again, pastor is the wrong word because this predates American pastors. This is a thing. I think Middle Ages even. This okay, has been around so for a while. people are creating this. Yes. Gate. Yes. Yes. Because it's uncomfortable to admit that it's almost impossible to get into heaven. Yeah. But then on the flip side, in st- that story, I forget what story we were reading, but was it was it Gehenna? Was an actual place? Yeah. That's on the flip side. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, so so in the story that Tessa's talking about, Jesus refers to Gehenna. It's yes. literally the Valley of Hinnom. It's right. it's over there. Like he can point to it. It's the the south to southeastern side of Jerusalem. It's like a, a an L, yeah, an L shape on that southeast side of the city. But we read that passage as hell. Hell, because of later interpretations right. that have equated the Valley of Hinnom, where there used to be child sacrifice and where there used to be a smoldering fire. Some people would say for for trash. Mm-hmm. We've turned the literal into a figurative, mm-hmm. but we've added the literal, mm-hmm. you know? So mm-hmm. it's like, well, there's this valley over here that's always on fire. Let's turn that into the place where people go 
when they die that's bad, Mm -hmm. but let's keep the literalness of the fire and burn them forever. And then here you're taking something that Jesus is talking about. That's a saying. impossible. Yeah, that's just a saying. And making it into something that makes us more comfortable with the passage. This is the whole thing. And this is the problem with pointing fingers at fill-in-the-blank conservatives, Mm -hmm. liberals, progressives, moderates, whatever. Because anybody... We're all picking and choosing. And it's not just picking and choosing. We're all reinterpreting. You know, I think that's different than us saying, ah, that bit about not eating shellfish. I don't care about that. I like them. It's not for us anymore. This is different than saying, oh... There was really a gate called this, and that adds texture to my reading. Mm -hmm. So a camel could have gotten in, which means I can still be rich. Mm -hmm. Woohoo! Right. And the, the thing that's just so immediately apparent to me are the folks who claim that some LGBTQ affirming Christians are guilty of rereading the Bible or reinterpreting the Bible to get where they want to go. Mm-hmm. Other people are doing and the same everybody's thing. Everybody's doing like, that anyway. Yeah, we're all doing that. And just just to be clear here, there is no Camelgate, Needlegate, Eye of the Needle. None of that is is real. Mm-hmm. The commentators that I'm reading, they're not liberal. And they're all saying, yeah, that's 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 BS. We're making it. To which I would say. What is it? It's not BS, uh-huh. Tessa. Nah. CS. <laughs> okay. There, there's another one, too, that I think is, is neat. Um, the Greek word for camel is kamelon. Mm-hmm. My stress in reading Greek is so bad. So if, if you're a super nerd out there and you're hearing that and you're like, it's not kamelon, it's kamelon. Okay. I think you're right, but also, okay. Whatever. All right. (laughs) That term there, one letter different Mm. from the accusative form, the object form of the word in Greek that means rope, kamelos, or kamelon in the accusative form. That's the object form. Kamala Harris. Well, let's not go there, okay, but I great. bet some people would because you've <laughs> sure. got all sorts of modern right. figures within yeah. the Bible. But yeah, they say, well, it's, ooh, 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 ooh. it's not a camel mm-hmm. that's going through the eye of the needle. It's a rope. rope. And it, maybe it's not a rope. It's just a thick, it's like yarn. Yeah. You ever tried to put yarn through a, a yeah. eye of a needle it's, and it like gets, gets a little frayed? Oh, yeah. You no. Know? And then you got to twirl it and lick it and yeah. shove it, you know? That's that's (laughs) That's an image. That's an image. That was too much. Back that up. Way too much. But they're saying, oh, see, it's not camel. It's rope. Mm -hmm. So maybe it is easier for a rope or a thick thread to go through the eye of a needle than for somebody who's rich to enter in the kingdom. But either way, it's possible. Right. What would biblical literalists say about this? Do they read it exactly? These are biblical literalists a lot of times that, that are coming, that are coming up sense, with this stuff. Though, yeah. Because they're Because biblical literalism doesn't make any sense. More than well, some people do other passages. Right. Because 
Because they're uncomfortable yes. with not being able to get into heaven. Which is what they do whenever they're uncomfortable. And I, I can say that they, because other uh, other interpretive groups do that too. Right. We're all trying to make the Bible make us more comfortable. Uh-huh. You know? Which is not what it's meant to do. No, it is meant to challenge, mm-hmm. to lead us to transformation, to make us more like Jesus. Now, let me let me clarify. Sometimes rereadings or reinterpretations are the most appropriate options for sure. our interpretation. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. This one happens to be it's literal mm-hmm. and that's the point right because it's jesus is saying this is something that can't happen mm-hmm. to his disciples right how hard it's going to be in fact is impossible mm-hmm. look at that guy he just came down the mountain so to speak mm-hmm. he's sad he's sloughing around with his smoking jacket he's sipping on his bourbon and he's watering it down with his tears mm-hmm. he's sad oh, gosh right yeah if a double decker bus <laughs> he, so they're uh, wanting to figure out ways to to get around that and it's not the point mm-hmm. i think also you could say uh, and i'm hearing the biblical literalist in the back of my head saying keep reading keep reading mm-hmm. dude like for right now it's impossible right so the disciples say then who can be saved man mm-hmm. if it's impossible who can be saved and jesus looks at his disciples now and maybe he's perceiving maybe he's uh seeing some gaining some supernatural insight and he says to them for mortals it's impossible but for god all things are possible and like we're like Whoo! so you're saying i can be rich this is like lloyd christmas in dumb and dumber so you're saying there's a chance (laughs) like we want that one out of 27 million Mm -hmm. so that we can have the cars have the stuff have the houses have the security have the stability Mm -hmm. have the retirement have the vacations have all the stuff that we want out of life that honestly has nothing or very little to do with Jesus, mm-hmm. and we want to justify it. Mm-hmm. Paging Dave Ramsey. <laughs> pa- paging Dave Ramsey. Live like no one else so you can live like no one else. And he uh-huh. would immediately say, all right, stop, because if you're worth $2.7 billion, your tithe is more than 99.999% of people. Yeah, I, I get that, Dave. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing. If when you hear this and 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 the reading is it's impossible for a rich person to enter into the age to come, so to speak, mm-hmm. and your initial thought is, oh, no. Like if there's something inside of you uh-huh. that viscerally, viscerally reacts to this and says, oh, I don't like that. That can't be true. Uh-huh. Then maybe – there's a problem. <laughs> Maybe there's an equation. Maybe you're wearing a smoking jacket. Uh-huh. Maybe you're sipping on your bourbon in your mahogany room, crying tears into your glass, listening to Morrissey, and you're sad because now you hear Jesus saying this is an, an impossibility. Which is funny because I'm not – I don't have a mahogany 
walled room. No. But I still have a little bit of that reaction to the story. Because not having money is uncomfortable. Yeah. And let let's 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 put this on record. Jesus is not advising or encouraging asceticism. He is not saying live as a homeless person mm-hmm. and endanger your family. Right. I think what he's saying is listen to that thing inside of you that's saying, "Ooh, this can't be right because I don't want it to be right." Mm-hmm. Or likewise, listening to that thing that's saying, "Whew, with God it's possible," which means God is making it possible for me. Like you're the like you're the person. Uh-huh. You know like, "Oh, God's making a way for you to be rich so that you can bless all the people right. and nothing else matters." Like we just want so desperately for our lives to be comfortable. And Jesus, I don't know if you've noticed this, isn't about comfortability. No. What well, we want to be the exception to the rule. We always do. We rarely are. <laughs> and we absolutely rarely are. So this text here, like for mortals it's impossible, but not for God. For God all things are possible. The stress here is Jesus saying it's not about pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. Mm-hmm. It's not about you trying extra hard. It's not about you trying to win God's affection by giving away all your stuff and selling it to the poor. I think it's more about like, first of all, it's about God doing the work in you supernaturally, allowing you and encouraging you and drawing you to be a better version of yourself, a more Jesus-like version of yourself. And also just trying to, to wrestle with this idea that it's not about the things that you're doing that that provide you access into the age to come. So Jesus is trying to like manage these these feelings and these expectations and perhaps when his disciples are so perplexed and, and sad, he he is addressing it. Because even after this, Peter says, dude, look, look, we and I, I didn't check this out in the Greek, but I wonder if this whole like Jesus looks at him and then Jesus looks at the disciples. I wonder if this is the same verb that Peter uses as an imperative to Jesus, look. Hmm. You know, that'd be mm-hmm. cool. Because mm-hmm. um, then it would be, and I don't know if this is true, but it would be Jesus is looking, he's perceiving, he's supernaturally you know, receiving some information a couple different times, and then Peter calls him to do the same. I don't know. And it's, it's difficult to say because there's lots of words for look in Greek. Um, maybe I'll drop a note in the show notes just to, to let us say that. But but Peter says, look, man, we've left everything. We've followed you. Implication. What about us? Mm-hmm. What are you saying? What's all this give everything away mumbo jumbo, mm-hmm. Jesus? We've done that. Right. What about us? And this is sort of like a, um, this is sort of the Job ending of this passage, right? So it, it comes back and Jesus says, I- I'll tell you, no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields, and that's like a, a jab to the rich guy, mm-hmm. fields, mm-hmm. you own land, right. you got a lot of stuff, like there's a jab there, even though he's gone, he's already weeping. Who's ever, who has ever left all this for my sake and for the sake of the good news, that person will receive a hundredfold now 
in this age. Can we pause there for a second? Mm-hmm. What have you received? Uh... <laughs> First of all, would you say like, yeah, I, I guess, I mean, I've left house and brothers and sisters and mother or father. Remember, Jesus too, He's he's got no family ties. This is not 21st century America, kids playing travel sports and the family right. is, is the end all be all. He's like, unless you leave home, unless you hate your parents, you can't follow me. Okay, he's not saying do that. Mm -hmm. Don't be like, okay, cool. Dad, I've got something to say. (laughs) No, you need to work that out in therapy. That's not what Jesus is talking about. But he's saying if you have these attachments, whether it's money or family, whenever they trump the, the placement of where following Jesus and loving God and neighbor should be, then you're not in the ballpark. Mm-hmm. I think it's what he's saying here. So first, would you say like, yeah, I've done that. I don't, I, I'm hesitant to claim that. I mean, I think I do my best. Yeah. I think I, I mean. I mean, you, you love your family. So it's our, when, when he's putting it in, in that term, it's like, oh, shoot, man, I, I love them. Yeah. Like I would die for them. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So it's hard to put it in those terms. But am I committed to following Jesus? Yeah. I mean, I think, at least personally, a big part of me following Jesus and learning and growing has been being at TRP. And I think in in theory, I could, in theory, I don't really want to, but I could move to New York and get a design job and probably make a lot of money. But for what? Yeah, also, if you're listening to this and you're thinking that this story should be moving you against that, I don't think that's the case because there are certain things where you might feel this this calling, and I don't want to over-spiritualize that, mm-hmm. but you might be feeling this compulsion to go to New York City sure. yeah. to get the design job, to yeah. have the experiences, and that doesn't necessarily preclude no a firm commitment to jesus that's not the takeaway it's 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 that thing it's that funny it's feeling as bo burnham would say oh right it's, it's the thing that's getting in the way of yes you following jesus of the true sacrifice yeah. of the true denial of yourself to pick up your cross and follow jesus and for some people that could be going listening to that thing could be moving somewhere yeah. else to take a job and yeah yeah and for some people i, I should i should throw this in here for some of the people with billions of dollars, mm-hmm. it might very well be the case mm-hmm. that they don't have the same reaction to this text as we do. Yeah. You know, like their passion might be their business, their corporation, and it's not causing them to sacrifice good relationships with people, pure generosity, mm-hmm. and love and commitment of Jesus. That is possible. Mm-hmm. It's just that thing. And I think Jesus is right. It's a lot harder mm-hmm. when you got all the stuff mm-hmm. to, to say, I could throw this away yeah. if I needed to. But what have you received a hundredfold in this age? This is not a prompted question, folks listening to this. Tessa's eyes are very big. <laughs> I'm, I'm gathering that that's because she doesn't know what the answer is. Yeah, I mean... Maybe relationships, richness in relationships. I don't think that there's anything I've received a hundredfold in 
material possessions, if that's what the passage is talking about. Let me ask you this. We live in a family-first society. Yes. You are a single woman yes. living in a city without your blood relatives. Yes. Does family-first American lifestyles, do they impinge upon you receiving a hundredfold in your opinion? Wait, say that question a different way. Yeah, because I'm not sure impinge is I'm a not word. Sure. <laughs> I'm not sure. I think it's uh, a word. Okay, I'm going to trust my... Infringe? Um, that's better. <laughs> <laughs> Does the family first mentality of families... Yeah. Do you think that that impacts the level to which, the hundredfoldness to which you benefit? As a, as a single person? You mean, does the priority of family yeah. over everything Yeah. yeah. Does it make, does it it make you feel like you are get... on the outside? Sometimes, sure. Yeah. What can the church do better? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. What can the church do better? Yeah. To uh, make here, me feel like I'm receiving a hundredfold? It's, it's not about you, uh, necessarily. Me, me I, in... How can the church the do better with? Because I think this is this is this is it, right? Like you will receive a hundredfold now in this age, and for some reason I hear that as it's not God supernaturally blessing you with with peace, which possible, sure. Yeah. But also, the people who are following Jesus should be providing a community in which we receive a hundredfold. Mm-hmm. And if we're not talking material blessings, we got to be talking about relational blessings. Mm-hmm. We got to be talking about emotional and spiritual blessings. So yeah, what can the church, capital C, be doing to allow that to be happening? Mm, that's a hard question. Is it, it might be too big. Maybe. I mean, I think even more than just the single people in your group or community or whatever i think generally taking care of each other and looking out for each other and um if someone has a need sort of helping out with that need i mean i think generally that's a good way for communities to operate i don't know if specifically there's maybe maybe part part of what i'm asking we've seen a lot of people leave church yeah not only in the almost nine years of TRP's existence, but especially in the last two to five years. Mm-hmm. I say five because 2016 was a bombshell. I, I can't, I can't wrap my head around the full impact that the American political system has had on people of faith. Mm-hmm. But when, especially a younger generation, has seen their parents legitimize things that they wouldn't have legitimized previously it's caused a lot of folks to say this is hypocritical mm-hmm. to see how the church responds to national crises and tragedies 
in a way that doesn't, in their opinion, embody the you know the the heart of Jesus mm-hmm. has had catastrophic impact on people leaving. And I think part of me is trying to trying to figure out how can the 2021 heading into 2022 church community live up to this receiving a hundredfold relationally, emotionally, spiritually. Mm-hmm. How can we come back from all of the heinous stuff that has caused people to walk away? How can we right that ship? Because the people that I talk to, it seems like they're in two classes. And I, I, we talk about this a lot. You got some Christians that are doubling down, mm-hmm. saying the old way is the right way. Uh-huh. The literal way is the right way. Mm-hmm. And you've got some other people that are maybe more, I hate the word, but like more progressive that are saying, I can't get on board with that. Therefore, I'm going to just leave altogether. Right. Which I don't see as the answer. It's not. But if you're in a scenario where you don't feel hundredfold, it's easy to see yourself out the back, never to return because your needs are being met elsewhere. Mm-hmm. So like that that phrase, the rewards in this age, as a minister, and I know I'm biased, as a minister, that's really making me think like, man, what does that look like? And are we, TRP, as a community, living up to our end of the bargain? Mm-hmm. Or is some of that family first stuff impacting us as well? I mean, I don't, I feel like the family first stuff, it's, it can be both. Does that make sense? No. Okay, great. <laughs> um, those two things to me are not mutually exclusive. Okay. That's, that's, that's better. That's helpful. Yeah. But I wonder if they're, but, and I don't want, I don't want to keep going with this. I wonder though, if they're saying it can be both is us legitimizing family first in the same way that we're legitimizing I guess it's possible to be rich because throughout the text Jesus is saying like you can't have things that are taking preeminence over the call to follow I don't have an answer for that one do you think that the family is preventing people from following you do hot take yeah sure Sure I do. The way, not the family as individuals, but the way that our society has ingrained what a family should look like. Yeah, I think it I think it might be antithetical to the call to deny oneself, pick up their cross and follow Jesus. Hmm. I'm certainly not saying hate your wife and hate your kids. That's not that's not what I'm saying at all. I mean, I do but think But it's but it's harder when you have like these you know, even Paul said it. Better to be single because then you're you're mono focused on the mission. Right, but that's not how our world works. No, 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 At it's all. not. Especially here where where we live. And I guess I'm just wondering, like, should there be a slight push against some of that? I don't know. And maybe this is um, maybe this is wrong headed, and maybe it's being forced into this this text for this day. But I imagine we'll come back to it. Mm-hmm. I 
I think that, I mean, I definitely think that the family is held at a different level than being single and living in community and stuff. I think it's held at a different priority, both for sure. Both ideologically and also practically. Because, yes. I mean, I know that a lot of people don't want to hear what Paul has to say, but I think P- Paul is absolutely right in that when you're not married and you don't have kids, your life looks different than mm-hmm. if you're married with children. Right. Because your priorities increase. Yes. It's, I need to, I need to die to myself for the betterment and sake of these other individuals who are part of my nuclear depend on you for everything yeah and that's that can't be the the call is not when you follow jesus that that gets thrown out the window no no but i do wonder if there's a, a a skewing of the priorities in our world where there might need to be so if this was 21st century Hey Jesus, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? If the call is for a lot of people having to do with the preeminence of family over mission, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know how to hold that intention in a way that doesn't make me seem like I am saying ditch your family because I'm not saying that no. at all. And nor am I saying it's impossible. I'm saying our society, from an ideological standpoint, pushes the needle way too far to the, this is what you need to prioritize above all else so that Jesus becomes a distant second, maybe fourth, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think what it means is being less comfortable yeah which is the whole point of this and passage more ex- ex- flexible ex- except when it gets to here because he's saying you're going to receive a hundredfold in this age right and then he goes on to say houses brothers and sisters mothers and children uh fields with persecutions weird weird addition remember fields with persecutions it's like it's like you're gonna and you're gonna get all of this houses brothers and sisters mothers and children and fields but you're going to get all of that oh, with oh, oh. persecution. Okay. Yeah. Which this book was written at a time when the church was being persecuted. Mm-hmm. Where all, I think it's fair to say, Jewish people were being persecuted. Like Rome was, this was in most people's mind prior to the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. Mm-hmm. Right around that time when it was looming. So it's like the, the author is including this anecdote. Hey, uh, this persecution is baked in uh-huh. to what we're going through. And he goes on, and in the age to come, eternal life, you'll receive that. So getting back to this initial question. And then he goes on to say, but many who are first will be last and the last will be first. So you got this, this Jesus-y thing, like you're going to get, you're going to receive, but it might look weird mm-hmm. because you've got this persecutions to deal with. And if you're first, you, you, you might be last and the last might be first. There's this counterintuitive flipping of the kingdom that's happening here. It starts to feel sort of convoluted and confusing. Yes, okay, and, and some people would say part of that is, remember, the traditions and the combining of traditions. Uh-huh. So you've got this Jesus story. He meets a guy, 
and then you've got the disciples and their questions, and then you've got this thing attached, like the the many who are first will be last and the last will be first. Like Jesus says this at different places within the Gospels. And so some people say like maybe this is kind of like Mark is wedging this in to this story to suit Mark's theological purposes. Mm-hmm. What they are, I don't know. Not not to any degree of certainty anyway. Well, shoot, man. That was... Uh, <laughs> There's a lot there. That's a lot. That's a lot there. I don't know if we're going to... Um, shoot for this length on most episodes i have no idea how long it's a long time oh look at that long time yeah this is like joe rogan it's long this form is like long form interviews joe rogan style podcasts i mean you know i listen to armchair expert and those are like two hours so this is not where tessa and i say we are just as interesting as dax and his co-host but i think we have some valuable information here absolutely absolutely so the plan is to do this weekly through Thanksgiving. And, see how it goes. and then we'll see how it goes. Yeah, we'll see what kind of response we get um, and if this is something we want to continue because we're trying to figure out a way to make sure that what we're talking about within the confines of TRP has some sort of availability outside, both for COVID reasons and also just for general curiosities because um, – we believe that uh, our voice is somewhat unique mm-hmm. and somewhat valuable. Mm-hmm. Hey, look at that. Look at that. Yeah. Is that our tagline? Somewhat unique, somewhat valuable. I hope not. Yeah, I hope not. No. <laughs> I think we should do um, topic-based. You is somewhat valuable. Yep. You is somewhat <laughs> unique. Unique, but not totally. We should uh, do some topic-based art or music or... We'll see. Hey. The, the options are endless. It just depends on what the people want. Options are endless. Um, but as you finish up that run on the treadmill, be blessed. We will see you again soon. And by see you, I mean we will talk to you again soon. Think and- differently. Love <laughs> radically. Act justly. Absolutely. Peace. <laughs> love. Equality.